Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We are on the second episode of the series of episodes on future growth market. Uh, since uh, there have been a lot of debates about BRICS now for future growth, is it still BRICS or is it going to be TIMS, Mint, N11 or Frontier Markets? In earlier episode, we discussed about the various possibilities and about BRICS. In today's show, we'll talk about TIMS and Mint. TIMS stands for Turkey, Indonesia, Mexico and Philippines. Mint stands for Mexico, Indonesia, Nigeria and Turkey. I have with me Dr. Sally joining me here in Houston. Uh, Dr. Sally is Strategy and International Business Professor at CT Bar College of Business at University of Houston. He has an engineering and entrepreneurial background. He possesses unique practitioner and academic experience in North America and Asia. He specializes in competitive strategy, corporate strategy, strategic planning and execution, international strategy, and emerging markets, new businesses and or new product and go-to-market strategies, research surveys, data design, collection analysis, statistical modeling, business and financial modeling, and planning. His other experiences also include strategy and international business professor at University of Hong Kong, international business professor at Loyola University, New Orleans, a consultant at World Bank and British Council. He also has been an entrepreneur with two startups as two startups as well as a currency trader. Welcome, Dr. Sally. Uh, thank you, Mahesh. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, uh, Dr. Sally, the world is going through a lot of changes and uh, we talked in um, our earlier episode about BRICS and uh, just to recapitulate, in 2001, the world began talking about BRIC countries, Brazil, Russia, India and China as potential powerhouses of the world economy. The term was coined by economist Jim O'Neill, who has now identified the mint countries. Mexico, Indonesia, Nigeria, and Turkey as emerging economic giants. And another term in play nowadays is TIMPS, T-I-M-P. As was the case with BRICS and is with Mint, term TIMPS came from the investment community. Bob Turner, the chief investment officer at Turner Investment Partners in USA, coined the term TIMPS. He was convinced that these nations have favorable demographics, the economies are strengthening and so are the political institutions. So these economies are qualities that should keep them and their stock markets expanding rapidly, rapidly and profitably. Now, our discussion today is, are TIMPS or MINT, either of the two, not much of a difference except one country, uh, the new hot markets after BRICS? So just to give uh, for our audience what we did last time, uh, uh, Dr. Sally, the BRICS are four large uh, emerging stock markets known as BRICS for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and somehow they're facing the cruel reality that they are not as hot as markets as it was in the past and someone can replace them. They may get replaced. As we know, uh, the fund has been now wound up and it's, it's no more there. Uh, the MSCI BRIC index had fallen 6.5% in the past 12 months, uh, I think up to uh, the first quarter of last year, 2017. But if you look at the four smaller markets, Turkey, Indonesia, Mexico, and the Philippines, the TIMS, in the same time were recording gains. 
the range was uh, from 9.4% for Indonesia and to the high end of 37.7% for Philippines. And uh, the TIMS are expanding in their economy, like many other economies, other emerging economies. The International Monetary Fund has forecasted an inflation-adjusted expansion in GDP this year for all of them. And if you look at their infrastructure and demographics, all of them have young population, high number of workers to retirees. They have uh, a lack of infra infrastructure that needs to be built out. And the banking system is under leverage and individuals and governments also are not overextended on credits. Unlike in many mature countries, leaving room to borrow more to fuel the growth. So uh, let's discuss about these four countries. Where do you see them? Yeah, um, uh, as you mentioned, the, the TIMPs, so maybe just very briefly, Turkey. I think some of the advantages, Turkey has uh, its natural uh, geographic location advantage. Uh, it's a bridge between Asia and Europe. Uh, and then you've got Russia and the Arab world all there. Mm -hmm. So locationally, one of the uh, factors that uh, impact long-term, I'd say, country competitiveness uh, simply is uh, geographic location. Uh, and being at the center of Asia and Europe uh, makes Turkey potentially very attractive, uh, coupled with all the other factors uh, that we just mentioned. So I'd say Turkey, you know, longer term uh, does does look attractive for sure. Mm -hmm. um, Indonesia, moving to Indonesia, uh, it has a, one of the world's largest populations. Uh, I think it's in the 300 million plus uh, range. True. Um, and also, uh, you know, so we talk about population, eventually, uh, you know, the GDP is growing, it's a growing middle class, and as income levels rise, we will see that many more people coming in uh, and the economy should, should take off. Uh, so Indonesia, again, uh, not surprisingly, happens to feature in this uh, next wave, let's say, of emerging markets. Mm -hmm. um, Mexico, for sure, uh, proximity to the U.S. Uh, has been a big play. Part of NAFTA, even though NAFTA is now currently under renegotiation, uh, a lot of investments have been made in Mexico, um, specific to the manufacturing sector, uh, and Mexico is really well placed, I think, to have started to build up uh, scale and uh, competencies uh, in manufacturing, uh, primarily initially driven by NAFTA uh, with the auto sector and the aviation, aerospace, um, and plus local domestic demand as well. Again, Mexico also benefits from a large economy. Uh, and as we said, proximity to the US uh, and a lot of flow of capital, even uh, from uh, Mexicans living in the U.S. back to Mexico, uh, as well as uh, access to resources uh, in North America. So, so definitely Mexico, uh, in fact, I would rate Mexico right up there mm -hmm. uh, amongst a lot of these countries, um, given its size and its location uh, and being in North America. Correct. Um, the proximity to North America. Yeah, with the Gulf of Mexico again, and then you know shipping channels. There's just a lot of diversity uh, that one could see, you know, coming out of Mexico. We do have challenges. We'll get to that probably later on, but sure. but definitely um, uh, makes sense. 
Uh, lastly, you mentioned uh, uh, Philippines as the temps. Mm-hmm. And uh, to recap, in the mints, we were actually talking about Nigeria, right? Which we didn't mention. So if we talk of Philippines, you know, smaller country, uh, but again, presence in Asia. One of the big advantages for Philippines is uh, they have, uh, you know, English-speaking uh, uh, workers, and uh, sort of as a maybe not even a counterpoint, but uh, you know the the whole call center industry that came about uh, with firms outsourcing uh, services, especially the customer service operations to countries like India. Uh, Dell did that a long time ago, uh, but there was some pushback from mm-hmm. customers about customer service out of India, mm-hmm. um, given things like the, the accent uh, for one. And Philippines, uh, you know, lends itself well to as a country with low um, low costs, but um, English uh, speaking uh, uh, talent uh, that is typically more Westernized. Uh, so that's I think in the past we've seen that coming out of Philippines. Uh, but overall, again, it's a smaller economy. However, they seem to be occupying a, a great niche. Uh, which is growing. Yeah, you're right. Because in the call center industry, even uh, the contracts from India, which they get from the rest of the world, are being passed on to Philippines because they are doing a better job and they are even cheaper than India in certain cases, Absolutely. which is a great point for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we all know nowadays when we call, uh, you know, American Airlines, you call anyone, it's, it's sort of, uh, you, you get redirected to the Philippines. Yeah. So let, let's see how this industry continues to grow. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so that was Philippines. Uh, the last one, Nigeria, right. which we didn't really touch mm-hmm. on, um, uh, heavily dependent on and blessed with actually natural resources, especially oil and gas, that has real fueled the economy. But again, a country with large populations. Uh, and uh, you know, at a stage of development where it could potentially again uh, be very attractive uh, as we go forward. Correct. And you know, another positive is the demographics in all of these countries are very attractive as compared to other countries in emerging markets. So whether it's Timp or Mint, this is one country going this way or that way. Uh, all of them have this advantage. Uh, so uh, one is that uh, since these terms came from the investment community, they are more looking from the investor's point of view. But let's look at what actually is happening in these countries. And that's our goal for today's discussion, how the economies are going and, and what is expected from them beyond just the gain in the investment in the stock markets there or investment in other financial vehicles there. So as they say, that uh, there are high hopes for TIMS as well as Mint, but there are always potential hazards, which is true for any emerging country. There's always a certain risk. There could be a new leader which comes in and suddenly everything changes. And he's not, or rather I would say it's a less capitalistic. So the investments slow down and it takes a different shape or direction. And also there could be another one which could be a global slowdown if something like that happens, although that affects the whole world. But uh, I want to uh, touch a little bit on the mint also. So uh, about mint, Goldman Sachs, uh, they came out with that. And they have actually came out with the growth profiles in GDP also for mint countries. So so if you look at it, in 2012, the highest ranking GDP out of mint was Mexico. The reference here uh, used by World Bank's data by Goldman Sachs on uh, uh, basis GDP, 
on um, purchasing power parity. Uh, Mexico was at number 14, highest in the ranking out of the mint countries. Again, mint is Mexico, Indonesia, Turkey, and Nigeria. And the last one being Nigeria at number 39. What they are forecasting is by 2050, Mexico and Indonesia will break into the club of top 10. And uh, Nigeria and Turkey will still be at number 13 and 14. Now, since we are looking at the markets, growth market after BRICS, uh, uh, it, it's it's prudent to point out that BRICS are also going to grow much larger. And uh, they will be all in top six with uh, China at number one, India at number three, Brazil at number five, and uh, Russia at number six. So they are also consolidating their positions there. Also, just interestingly uh, to note on that, uh, you know, the report that you mentioned on yeah. the Goldman Sachs 2050, uh, you know, a, a lot of other reports, uh, different consulting firms, uh, mm -hmm. PricewaterhouseCoopers has yeah. done a similar report about the world in 2050. And uh, they use the term E7 uh, to refer to the emerging group of seven. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, as per them, like similar to the World Bank report, it turns out that you know, we talk of the top 10 economies by 2050. Uh, let's look at how many of those would be developed world economies, just to, you know, <laughs> give a different perspective. Uh, we see the U.S. probably still be there, be there yeah. at number two, so right. very significant. Uh, but after that, it's really Japan, mm -hmm. oh, no, it's Germany, Japan, um, and probably, uh, you know, e e either France or Maybe not. The UK, some predictions say it would be mm -hmm. either number 10 or out of the top 10. Correct. So the world is is going to look dramatically different. Yeah, it does. You're, you're absolutely right. If you look at uh, 2012, that's a great point. Out of developed world, 2012 numbers on, on GDP, again, as per PPP, it's not the, the GDP in the real terms or something. So the, who are the top six, if you look? U.S., China, Japan, Germany, France, U.K. And if you look at those six in 2050, only U.S. remains there and Euro area as one area. Yeah, but that's the only way. It's not like by individual countries. <laughs> so, exactly, and you know, it's basically Germany, yeah. France, Italy. You well, know, all the, put the together. Big, yeah. yeah, yeah, true. So there is there is a big change coming up, and that's a good point. And you know what? Um, Another point, Dr. Sally, if you look at BRICS, BRICS had few things in common. They were all part of emerging market that time. Same as with Mint today, Mexico, Indonesia, Nigeria, and Turkey. But one differentiation you can see is uh, in the BRICS, only two were relying very heavily on natural resources, which was Russia and Brazil. So it had its own impact when you're relying very heavily on, uh, uh, on natural resources. Now, if you look at Mint, Mexico, Indonesia, Nigeria, these three are relying on commodity. These are commodity producers. Now, that can have a different impact if the commodities start hitting south. But anyway, it looks like uh, both the Mint and Tim, uh, we, before we dig deeper into individual pieces, have one common issue, which is corruption, regulation, and governance. There's a lot of activity happening there. 
But if you look at uh, mid countries, they say, uh, while corruption was a consequence of the poor or, or the past governance and regulation, which is weak, but that is not cause for a weak future. The future can still be strong if there is a will to fix the governance and regulation issue and take the corruption out. And sorry, go ahead. No, I absolutely <coughs> agree. And uh, you know, we were talking about the the challenges earlier, uh, and uh, it, it is quite interesting to note. You know, corruption is. Uh, there's an organization called Transparency International, which uh, brings out annual reports of the corruption index of various countries. Mm -hmm. And it's really not surprising that, uh, or it maybe is surprising, <laughs> that uh, one thing all these emerging markets have in common is the very high degrees of corruption. Yeah. Um, that's, that's actually hurting. Dr. Sally, we'll take a short break and we'll continue our discussions after the break. on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Welcome back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have with me uh, Dr. Sally, and we are discussing what are the future growth markets. And we are looking at beyond BRICS, that in case, as people say, uh, that BRICS have uh, reached their peak, at least the investment community has closed down the fund. So what could be the next markets? And we are talking about TIMS uh, and MINT. TIMS is Turkey, Indonesia, Mexican, Philippines. MINT is Mexico, Indonesia, Nigeria, and Turkey. Dr. Sally, as you're discussing about, uh, you know, there are some uh, good points about these uh, markets, both of them, MINT and TIM. A uh, few negatives, corruption, weak governance, and regulation, but they, they, they are not. They, they are the consequences of weak past. They're not a cause which make create a weak future because all of them are working to fix those issues. Now, um, case in the point, like Africa, and if you look at Nigeria then, if Africa's lack of development is is for many reasons, but one of them is if they stop fighting, if they start trading with each other itself, they have a growth. And it reflects in Nigeria also, crime and corruption, or uh, even in Turkey, a heavy-handed government. So if all these things which are fixable and there have been signs of these being addressed, 
I think they've got a very good future. As we move on, let's look at a little bit about individual countries. Okay, let's start with Turkey. What do you think about Turkey? The situation in Turkey and where they are heading. Okay, in terms of Turkey, maybe just a few uh, facts. I think for all of these countries, uh, you know, looking at uh, GDP, mm -hmm. even though, as we said, it's adjusted for purchasing power parity, uh, is, uh, you know, can be instructive. Mm -hmm. uh, so, Turkey, we're looking at a $1.6 trillion economy uh, with 3.8% growth and currently about 20000 dollars per capita. That's uh, pretty good. Which is pretty yeah, high yeah. Uh, given that I think we had for uh, the the BRICS, if you look at China, mm -hmm. you know, the the world's second largest economy, mm -hmm. we're talking about what, it's about eight, seven to eight thousand dollars per is capita. True. Uh, of course, some cities, Shanghai, Beijing, mm -hmm. would, would be at twenty thousand, but but still Turkey would, would you know, uh, be right up there. Uh, amongst all of these countries in terms of GDP per capita. So the starting point as we look at the world today is pretty high for Turkey uh, and that's a good thing. Um, secondly, uh, Turkey has had some FDI inflow, mm -hmm. not as much as these really large giants, but it's mm -hmm. still $16 billion. And um, you know, overall the economy has had uh, macroeconomic stability uh, there has been political turmoil, though, but overall, uh, it's been fairly stable as a country. Uh, fiscal policy has been fairly prudent. Uh, budget deficits and public debt have been kept under control. Um, you know, inflationary pressures have increased, but overall, the financial sector does remain um, stable and competitive. Um, some of the challenges, of course, as highlighted, uh, political turmoil and lack of transparency in government and mm -hmm. rule of law uh, can be, uh, you know, quite negative, uh, especially in terms of uh, attracting foreign investment, which is quite critical uh, to the development of these countries, uh, given the, the, the states that they act right now. Mm -hmm. So that's something I think we need to look at quite carefully for Turkey uh, going forward. Um, Turkey is a secular republic, uh, but uh, President uh, what's it, Erdogan's party is pushing a somewhat Islamist agenda and maybe eroding uh, Turkey's Euro-Atlantic relations by cracking down on freedom of speech and the media. Um, so, you know, that's something that was an attempted military coup in um, 2016. Right. Uh, that proved to be unsuccessful. Uh, but there was a subsequent state of emergency, um, you know. So, so these are factors again, uh, briefly to consider. Uh, on the on the other side, Turkey has been a member of NATO since 1952. Mm -hmm. uh, the EU has granted them country candidate status, uh, but there's still opposition from uh, France, Germany, and Austria. Basically, they are the fringes. They can get in if they absolutely. But you know, at least in terms right of things. factors, they're yeah. up there. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, uh, you know, property rights generally enforced, uh, but courts are slow, which mm -hmm. is again typical of most of these countries. Uh, other than that, I'd say uh, you know tax rates are are, are comparable or right. quite competitive. The top personal tax rate is thirty five percent, and the top corporate tax rate is twenty percent. Mm -hmm. So that's certainly competitive uh, across the board. Um, regulations stills drag on entrepreneurship, 
but uh, you know the and limits the emergence of a more dynamic economy I'd say mm -hmm. uh, finally I'd say trade is really important to Turkey uh, and given its geographic location that's really uh, that's a big advantage driver, a huge driver for them mm -hmm. uh, so I'd say that's you know that that's that's how we would you know so Turkey uh, to summarize mm -hmm. you know well positioned uh, currently facing certain challenges mm -hmm. but as we've seen with 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 other large emerging countries uh, these are challenges with good leadership uh, that can be overcome correct you know corruption and cronism had been a problem there you know, as uh, Turkey has been growing and uh, you know, trade has been pretty good. Almost 60% of the GDP is exports and imports put together, which is pretty impressive, which you will expect because you're bordering between uh, Europe and Asia. You're at a very critical point. And, uh, you know, the, I think they have been trying to attract and, uh, and foreign investments also there. And they even tried to privatize uh, the publicly state-owned uh, corporations or the enterprises. Uh, banking is stable, it's well capitalized and resilient, there's not much of an issue there. But the surprising part is the presence of foreign banks is not as much as you would see in a country like Turkey sitting right there at the border of Europe and trying to become a part of uh, NATO, uh, not, I'm saying NATO, Euro Union. Now, uh, looking into the next one, if we look at uh, Indonesia, how do you see Indonesia? Because Indonesia is uh, if you look at their uh, GDP in terms of PPP, it's pretty impressive. It is almost quarter of a billion, uh, sorry, 2.8 trillion, uh, with a population of almost uh, 255 million. They have almost quarter of a billion people. And uh, if you look at their, uh, their growth in GDP in, in terms of PPP in the last five years has been north of 5%, and uh, which is not a very bad number. And so if you look at the global growth numbers and uh, keeping in mind that Indonesia is the fourth largest country in the world and the, the one of some of the reasons there are uh, which is causing issues was the leadership and the infrastructure but once the reform-minded government came into play the structural adjustments started coming in and uh, the corruption started getting impacted and uh, public finance business environment st started improving. And one of the rare things about Indonesia, the step which they took, with, uh, which was uh, uh, dependent on oil and gas, that they started cutting fuel subsidies dramatically just to um, narrow their fiscal deficit. I think the global financial institutions appreciated that. And uh, they also started removing some of the barriers which existed in Indonesia in the past for uh, coming uh, foreign direct investments there. Where do you see uh, some of the issues uh, in Indonesia? Yeah, as mentioned, you know, uh, being the fourth largest country uh, right now, uh, so it's what India, China, uh, the US, and then Indonesia, uh, those growth rates are, 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 are impressive. Uh, in terms of uh, shortcomings, though, as we sort of described, uh, you know, there's, there's still, uh, Indonesia is still not reached the stage of, I, I guess, infrastructure and institutional development uh, that some of the, the 
uh, well, certainly not close to the developed world. So I would say that is 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 one shortcoming, and these continue to undercut the momentum for more dynamic uh, economic development. Uh, you know, in the absence of a well-functioning legal and regulatory framework, uh, corruption, a uh, slow justice system, uh, and uh, uncertainty about rules and regulations uh, really is a is is quite an impediment uh, to a more dynamic both private sector as well as uh, foreign investment. Um, further, the state's presence in the economy remains quite extensive through various state-owned enterprises. Yeah, because of the reliance on oil and gas quite a bit, so they keep the control through those state-owned enterprises. Right, and I, I just make a general comment here about, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see later on, you know, all of the countries that we talk about, the Mints and the Temps, uh, to some extent, uh, they all face institutional challenges. Mm -hmm. You know, whether we look at capital markets, for some, whether we look at labor, we look at regulations, policies, uh, and and we have seen examples of countries on the mm -hmm. flip side, like Singapore, mm -hmm. uh, where the government has been so proactive, and uh, in fact, in in shaping a small city uh, state economy like Singapore, and taking it to the level where it is today, about fifty five thousand, you know, uh, GDP per capita. Mm -hmm. uh, so so definitely, uh, while these markets right now have these challenges. Uh, these, these are certainly not insurmountable. Correct. Uh, Indonesia has a unique advantage because they're a member of G20. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, they're also one of the, you can say, important driving force within the association of Southeast Asian nations. And uh, they are willing and they're trying to play a growing role uh, on those levels, which is kind of good. Now, looking at the way the, the country has been run till now, in terms of freedom to people, the, there are property rights now there, and they're generally respected. Um, yeah, enforcement could be an issue. Uh, registration could be an issue. Now, the other important pillar is judiciary. Now, it is starting, and it has shown some signs of independence. The only problem which it is getting hit is with the corruption. And there are some other institutional issues there. But overall, uh, despite all these issues, the World Economic Forum's Global Competitive Index report has, uh, uh, they have kind of indicated that the anti-corruption efforts, which Indonesia started taking, has uh, started paying off. And uh, they are improving on almost all of the measures related to the ethics issues and everything going around it. So looks like with the, uh, even now with the, in, the, the impact of regulatory environment being a little bit weak and now improving, uh, the trajectory is positive. And as I mentioned earlier, IMF lauded their fuel subsidy reform and they have indicated that this could serve as a model for other countries. That how government energy subsidies are provided uh, now only to poor consumers and there is not a misuse of it. Uh, we will take a short break here now, uh, Dr. Sally, and we'll start after the break again.
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Welcome back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have with me Dr. Sally, and we are discussing about what are the new growth markets after BRICS. Is it TIMPS or is it MINT? Uh, we took a break. Dr. Sally, we were talking at that time about Indonesia. Uh, now, let's move on to Nigeria. What, what do you think about Nigeria as a part of MINT as a growth market? Okay, let's start with maybe one... Uh Amazing statistic, mm-hmm. uh, about 170 million people in Nigeria share about the same amount of power that is used by 1.5 million in the UK. Uh, almost every business has to generate its own power. Um, the costs are enormous. Can you imagine that this country has been growing at 7% with no power. Literally no power. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's almost, if that's the ratio, 170 to 1.5 in UK. If we could just fix this problem, mm-hmm. uh, Nigeria could, uh, that would double the size of its economy in six or seven years. And that's a good infrastructure improvement. Um, some other facts. Uh, again, the reason Nigeria features uh, in one of the, uh, you know, the future growth countries uh, again, if you look at population, uh, sizable. Currently, 178 million uh, expected to grow again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, GDP per, uh, purchasing power parity is, you know, of the order of 1.1 trillion. And we said some of the other countries were either 2.8 or 1.2. So it's in that category. Uh, growth rates have been about 4.7% over five years. Uh, the overall GDP per capita, though, is lower. Um, it's at about 6,000. Uh, so this places it uh, amongst uh, on the countries a little lower than China, uh, definitely below, uh, let's say, uh, even uh, Brazil or even below Indonesia or uh, definitely below Turkey at 20,000. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we uh, the, the starting point is lower. And as we said, though, the upside, uh, even fixing the power issue uh, could be phenomenal. Correct. And definitely Nigeria is the most populous nation in Africa. So the population itself is pulling the GDP per capita down. Correct. Uh, so, so for them, you know, uh, I think some of the key issues maybe improve the stability of the region mm-hmm. because Nigeria, again, uh, even though it's been blessed with natural resources, specifically oil and gas, has been marred with uh, not just corruption, but personal safety also has been a big issue for companies operating in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Um, there also a lack of transparency in the economic system. Uh, the government, as I said, has struggled to end security threats. Uh, that has worsened poverty and unemployment. Uh, but even more so, uh, unlike the other countries, uh, Nigeria is heavily over-dependent on, on, on oil. 
uh, oil accounts for about 90% of their export earnings, exposing the economy to major risks, especially in the current environment of low oil prices. Yeah, what happened in the last three years, oil went down from 142 to almost $26. All this recovered now, so that has major impact on such economies. Right. Um, I think that's one of the reasons they are trying to diversify uh, their industrial base or the activities which contribute towards uh, the economy of the country. Absolutely. As you know, we see the same happening in Saudi Arabia as well. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, you know, this is more challenging given uh, the, the part dependence and then the lack of infrastructure, regulations, uh, education, and overall uh, level of uh, income. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, potential is there, but I'd say these challenges are, are, are quite real right now uh, for Nigeria. Correct, correct, correct. Although, I mean, if you look at in the elections in 2015, it was the first time in Nigeria, uh, it was peaceful transfer of power, which is commendable. Uh, but then you had the issue of insurgencies, terrorist groups, and uh, another good news was on the judiciary side, which is becoming uh, a little bit independent, but still there's political interference, corruption, lack of funding, but there is a sign that it has some independence, which over a period of time should improve. So that could be taken as a positive direction. And um, beyond oil, as you mentioned, they need to diversify. And there is an opportunity for them because uh, they are making good money and oil is recovering now. So they need to develop basically a, a robust private sector. And that's what is the need. And uh, uh, in, in terms of um, uh, labor market still it has not emerged a vibrant labor market it's uh, I don't know if the reason is there's no non-energy growth so is the labor market just focused on a special industry and uh, the specialized labor is being imported I'm not sure about that yeah I would I would imagine so you know if that's where the, the growth is and that's what's fueling the economy mm -hmm. literally fueling the economy yeah. uh, you know the the people would tend to work in, mm. in those areas. Mm -hmm. So there has to be, uh, you know, government-led uh, uh, or government-supported and led uh, initiatives to diversify, uh, including incentives for the private sector mm -hmm. uh, to venture into other areas before, you know, one could reasonably expect that uh, labor would start moving towards uh, other areas. Quite so right. definitely work needs to be done there. But given the population, mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's a huge plus. Absolutely. And you know, the one surprising factor which I saw, I was, uh, you would expect more foreign direct investment when you have oil and gas. It has not happened. It could be because of uh, you know, the impact of the judiciary and regulatory systems not being that strong to attract foreign investment. It's not up to their expectations. And since they are so exposed to the energy sector, oil and gas and the oil price went down so dramatically, same was gas, the non-performing loans have been increasing very rapidly. So beyond all these negatives about governance and regulation and, and the other issues with the insurgency, the great opportunities are diversification beyond oil and gas and definitely keeping in mind oil and gas is a huge positive and they have that natural resources. So opportunity seems to be there for them to be a part of uh, a pretty good growing group of countries. Uh, Dr. Sally, let's move now to Mexico. Mm -hmm. what, what, how do you see Mexico play a role 
as a part of mint or temp uh, in the growth profile. And their the GDP is pretty robust. It's in terms of PPP is 2.2 trillion. Uh, pretty good size of people. 121 million people they have. And uh, if you look at uh, their uh, uh, per capita income is uh, pretty significant. Seventeen thousand dollars, close to that. And um, the business freedom is pretty good there. And uh, FDI inflow is not too bad at a number of thirty billion dollars. How do you how do you see? It looks like Mexico has a lot of good things going in their favor. For one is NAFTA plus proximity to U.S. just across the road, and uh, you know U.S. had that corridor where they would go into Mexico and do uh, manufacturing there. And actually, uh, the the fiscal and monetary policies of Mexico in the past have uh, helped them in uh, uh, their macroeconomic performances. And if you see uh, the structural reforms which are adopted by the country, uh, in especially in this field of energy and telecommunication sector, which are very strong, uh, were not thinkable not too far uh, away in, in past years. And the regulation of uh, commercial operations has become more streamlined. And even to start a business is very easy. Yes, there are some issues which we can elaborate on. Uh, but there are a lot of good signs uh, which Mexico uh, shows. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as mentioned, you know, early on also, I think Mexico, uh, you know, not surprisingly has featured uh, in both the or several lists uh, of, you know, countries to look uh, to by, in 2050. Uh, and we, we kind of just recapped some of the major uh, advantages. And also the fact that once again, the starting point is pretty high. It's already at 17,000 GDP per capita mm -hmm. with the population of 120 million uh, uh, and proximity to, to North America. Regardless of how NAFTA ends up, uh, Mexico has a lot of free trade agreements mm -hmm. with, uh, with, with several countries. Mm -hmm. So uh, assuming even if NAFTA has a negative impact uh, on trade between the U.S. and Mexico, for example, uh -huh. uh, it, it, you know, we would still see companies investing uh, in Mexico mm -hmm. uh, to to trade uh, around the world, given its proximity. Correct. They have a huge advantage, and, yeah. and that's completely right now. Maybe you know, even a, a positive of a slowdown in NAFTA yeah. might force co companies to look at Mexico to export elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, now you're right, Mexico participates in many free trade agreements even beyond NAFTA and uh, they've got a very robust state-owned uh, oil company. So, so basically uh, w what we see there is one is lack of competition domestic market. They relied a lot on US companies to go in and manufacture what they needed. They did for themselves. There was some rigidity in the labor market. There were some shortcomings, not a lot in judicial and in institutional systems and uh, uh, some corruption levels. And, and we all know the high level of crime has been an issue there. And uh, not that the government is not taking uh, action about it. Yes, there are opportunities uh, to do a lot of good things there. Now, uh, what if you see the ease of setting business is, is pretty good there. In, in Mexico, and if you look at the trade, uh, which is an important part of Mexican economy, the value of imports and exports put together 
uh, are uh, more than two thirds of the total GDP number. So it looks like um, with the competitive uh, banking system, which, uh, financial sector, which they have, and it's open, uh, and uh, the banking system, uh, which is relatively well capitalized, and um, foreign participation, the banking is also growing. So beyond whatever we see as the negatives of some of the regulatory and governance issues and crime corruption, overall from the infrastructure and governance point and the presence of natural resources, they bode very well for Mexican economy to be part of Mint attempt both as a growing part of growing economies. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, once they get the corruption, uh, uh, once that improves, and as we said, regulation improves, it, mm. if they have the size of a domestic economy mm. to, real, to really fuel growth and reap the benefits of the kinds uh, of, you know, uh, that they have from trade. So I would say trade, mm -hmm. but also uh, domestic growth mm -hmm. uh, should really see Mexico uh, on a path. Uh, and that's why it features in, in, you know, either as a mint or as a tip. As both, yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Zali. We'll now take a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have with me Dr. Sally, and uh, we are talking about the future growth markets after BRICS. Is it TIMS or MINT? Uh, in our earlier sections, uh, we discussed about Mexico, Indonesia, uh, we have talked about Nigeria, we have talked about Turkey. Let's talk about Philippines, which is part of TIMS, not a part of MINT. All right, so just some facts on Philippines. Uh uh, for those of us that are keeping up, <laughs> uh, you know, given the the geographic size, the population is 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 you know quite impressive. Uh, it's a uh, hundred million. Yeah. Uh, in part of Asia, uh, that's what we see uh, in the <coughs> Philippines. Uh, uh, GDP not quite a trillion dollars, mm -hmm. but you know seven hundred and forty billion. And more uh, impressive is the five point eight percent, five point nine percent growth rate. Uh, that they've been um, uh, witnessing over the last five years or so. Somehow they're maintaining low inflation. Uh, inflation too, that's a good yeah. point, is extremely low. Uh, and um, unemployment is not very high. Well, mm -hmm. you know, it's 6.7%. Uh, the GDP per capita 
is at about $7,000. Um, so that's, again, comparable to some of the other countries in our list. Uh, and uh, so overall, you know, uh, Philippines is, uh, is well-placed. But uh, some of the, I, I, I'd say that the, the challenge really is um, for them that they, they, the entrepreneurial dynamism that we witness in some of these other countries, or at least the factors that would enable that, seem to be uh, missing right now. So can you take it long term? Uh, so some growth is coming. If the entrepreneurship is not there, you cannot continue growth for a long time. Right. And, and exactly. I'd say they really need deep institutional reforms uh, in areas such as business freedom, investment freedom, mm -hmm. uh, rule of law. And the government has seems to have recognized this, but progress has still been mixed. Correct. They're trying. I think there have been, there have been legislative reforms to increase the overall environment for entrepreneurship and, and develop um, a robust private sector you know, which can create a, a broader-based job growth than what's what's been happening till now. Yeah, one of the factors, you know, agriculture is still a pretty significant part of the economy. Um, there is some industrial production in areas like electronics, apparel, uh, shipbuilding has been growing. Uh, we mentioned call centers mm -hmm. uh, in the Philippines. That's been growing. Uh, Philippines also happens to be one of the countries that receives the largest inward um remittance from uh, overseas, uh, True. Um, you know, Philippine workers, it's, it's, it's a staggering almost 10% of their GDP. Uh, That's pretty high. Yeah. So, you know, um, the other points are uh, property rights still weak. Uh, as with other countries, corruption, cronyism is pervasive. Uh, wealth is held disproportionately in the hands of a few controlling families, including uh, property rights and land as well, and political power. And uh, a culture of impunity has been reinforced uh, by, you know, by, by some of the, the more recent uh, leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, so when that's in place, you know, there's very little um, incentive and that sort of dampens uh, entrepreneurship as well uh, with power in the hands of a few. Mm -hmm. So that would be... Uh, one of the challenges that they need to address. So I, I think that's where they're heading for. So the indications are that they're gradually improving on the business regulatory environment. They're uh, they're they're reducing those licensing requirements, so called, to get into doing the business there. But having said that, the, the labor market is still rigid, and uh, the regulations are are not very desirable for many uh, businesses to start doing businesses and, and, and the price controls uh, are there on pharmaceutical food and some of the fuels that if you look at trade is an important part of Philippines economy also more than 60% is the value of GDP if you put together all the exports and imports that's a pretty high number and uh, also they do not allow um, uh, investment in some of the economic sectors and the government controls it. The financial sector still is uh, overall stable and it is sound and uh, they are about to end the moratorium or maybe they've already done 
were granting new banking license because the central bank was controlling they would not allow any other new bank to come in. So uh, Dr. Sally, uh, having discussed all the countries of Mint and Temp, one country is different in that. How do you see, uh, now my question the way I want to pose is, how do you see Temp or Mint, any of them replace BRICS as an attractive future market? And is it just from the point of view of investment purpose as we we know this has come from investment community, the banking community, the financial institutions, or uh, uh, what I see from the size of Tim's and Mints today to the size of BRICS, the growth of both, uh, all these three, if you, if you monitor, BRICS can still run away, but in terms of betting uh, uh, which one, Tim or Mint or Brick? <laughs> Well, you know, I'm not, uh, fortunately, my job doesn't require betting. <laughs> Lucky. <laughs> I'll leave that to the investment community. Um, but, you know, uh, a few points maybe uh, on my, uh, to, to make out here. You know, investment from a financial perspective, somewhat um, related, but also, um, you know, unrelated to, uh, I think, physical investments. Mm -hmm. uh, so we talk about uh, bricks or Tim's, your question, Mahesh, was about can they replace the bricks? Uh, I, I wouldn't really look at it as replacing, but I would look at it as uh, supplementing. Bricks part two. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, these are countries which are going to be significant players in the global economy. Yeah. Uh, so I would, you know, leave it at that. Uh, and as we see, definitely given the populations of some of the countries that we talked about, you know, these these are all very significant. There's mm -hmm. no country under a hundred million dollars, uh, a yeah. hundred million people. Yeah. Uh, and uh, growth rates uh, are expected to be even higher, right. uh, given their starting points. So some are low, but others are at almost twenty thousand dollars. And growth rates have been five percent to six percent. Uh, even a very simple mathematical calculation mm -hmm. will show that they are going to be significant. Right. So we don't really, you know, fundamentally. Um, the bricks and the mints and the tints, as we just talked about, are here, are here, and they're going to uh, stay. Mm -hmm. um, the the things that could derail mm -hmm. probably some of these projections or delay them, mm -hmm. to me, I see is the is the institutional reform mm -hmm. uh, really coming in from 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 the government and the ability to control corruption. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say these would be some of the biggest factors that might uh, slow down mm -hmm. their growth. Mm -hmm. uh, but as we see signs that they're opening up uh, and with the more global participation, uh, it's probably just a matter of time that the world uh, uh, you know, looks different. So right. that, that would be my, my you know, overall theme on it. In terms of uh, investment, coming to your point, uh, from a financial perspective, at certain points, absolutely, growth rates are expected to be faster in countries which are smaller and starting out at a lower starting point. So countries that are already moved along on their growth mm -hmm. uh, might might grow slower. Mm -hmm. But the ones initially starting out, we would expect if the reforms are in place, that they'll take off faster. Mm -hmm. So there will be some that will be more attractive short term. Mm. Uh, but longer term, depending on the industry, uh, I think that's uh, that will look quite different for each industry. Correct. I totally agree with you because if you look at if you missed out BRICS growth uh, and you want to participate at that level where BRICS was 
few decades ago. Yeah, you have an opportunity, but if you look at what Goldman Sachs had given uh, the data from World Bank on 2012 numbers out of the top 10, uh, BRICS have already made it to that. And the forecast for 2050, the BRICS are in top six. So you can imagine if you take out Euro area, they become top five. So all of them has tremendous growth. And between 2012 to 2050, the, 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 the mint countries at least, uh, they are coming up into two of them, into the top nine, and, and the other two are at 13 and 14. So yeah, the BRICS will be really BRICS because BRICS had two of them at natural resource advantage, like three of the mint had. But they had a huge demographic advantage, especially Brazil, uh, India, China. Then if you look at Russia, and I'm uh, no, sorry, Russia, before that is Brazil. So overall, it looks like, yes, there could be uh, uh, one of the places where the growth is going to come, at what rate, uh, whether BRICS will be going still faster than them or less than them. Definitely, BRICS will be much bigger because they're already much bigger at this point of time. So there's some positive news, but they need to take care of the governance issues, some of the regulation issues, uh, so that they start getting investment and uh, go for the growth. Thank you so much uh, for joining the discussion today, Dr. Sally. Uh, thank you, Mahesh. Uh, enjoyed our discussion. Thank you.